The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hello. He was, said the critic Harold Bloom, the greatest black writer in Western literature. Although in his own country, he hasn't always been considered black at all. Advocates of realist literature say his works are a perfect blend of realism and innovative techniques, while devotees of the avant-garde say his work is an attack on realism. Black or white, Republican or monarchist, pushing for the abolition of slavery or avoiding the subject, it seems that the life and reputation of Machado de Assis is as difficult to pin down as the narrative style of one of his most famous creations, the narrator who delivered the story of his life from beyond the grave. The support of English-language luminaries like Susan Sontag and Salman Rushdie and Elizabeth Hardwick and Harold Bloom have not been enough to make the name of Machado as familiar to us as Joyce and Kafka and Borges, but it is in their company that he belongs. For as difficult as he is to define, greatness in literature is not defined by labels and categories, but by the talent and humanity that shine through. And in this, Machado's works emerge through the centuries as clever as Stern, as incisive as Swift, and as important to Brazil as a Pushkin is to Russia or a Dante is to Italy. We've been urged by our Brazilian listeners for years to dig into this man's life and works, and finally, we have Machado de Assis, today on The History of Literature. Okay, here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I hope you are doing well. We are headed into summer here where I am. The weather is warm and the days are long. There's nothing quite like that moment when you realize that the day is longer than you expected. You never thought it possible that there would be this much light. It feels extra and the light feels different, too. It's got a different hue. When the twilight is extended, those extra hours, and just when you start to feel like you're in paradise, you realize that you're over the hump and the days will be getting shorter now. Damn it. Nothing good ever lasts, and it's not even good, or I don't recognize it as being good, until it's on its way out. We have a new holiday here in the United States, Juneteenth. I have high hopes for this day. I think it's going to become one of the best days of the year here in America. We're commemorating the end of slavery, which is a great day for America, a great day in the history of America. And although I wasn't around then, and my ancestors were still in Europe at the time, to the extent I am an American, I'm pretty excited that we finally got rid of that god-awful practice of slavery, and I'm glad that we're choosing to study that moment and that period to remember it. Let's not shy away from the ugliness of history, folks. It's something we can learn from on our way to becoming better. Why am I bringing this up now? Our guest today, our Brazilian friend Claudia, is here to talk about Machado de Assis, and slavery was a big part of his life and his background. His grandfather was a former slave. But his grandfather wasn't freed by an act of emancipation along with all of his fellow slaves at the time. In fact, 
Slavery was not abolished in Brazil until Machado, the grandson, was in his late 40s. He lived with that institution in his country, in other words, throughout his childhood and his adult life, knowing that he was just a generation or two removed from it. His mother was a Portuguese washerwoman, his father a poor house painter. He himself was barely educated and never attended college, but he was smart and ambitious, and he had gifts. The gift of writing, of seeing things as a writer, sees them and being able to put it into words. He was mostly self-taught with a few helping hands along the way, and he was introduced to the right literature at the right time, and his natural gifts were fueled by those authors. Chekhov is an obvious parallel, I think, from a biographical standpoint. Machado was born in 1839 and Chekhov in 1860. Machado's grandfather had been a slave. Chekhov's grandfather had been a serf. Machado's mother was Portuguese. Chekhov's mother was Ukrainian. And they both, Machado and Chekhov, helped to bring the literature of their day into a new era. But I am getting ahead of myself. So here's what I would like to do. I had a call with an expert in Machado, or... Brazilian friend, Claudia, and ordinarily I do an introduction of the writer and end with the interview with our guest. But in this case, I think the conversation that I had with Claudia will serve as a good introduction. We talk about how Machado is regarded in Brazil. I will then follow up with some notes I took, things I wanted to explore further after talking to Claudia, I'll give you some of that news. And then we have a part two of the conversation. There was a topic that she and I didn't cover during the main conversation. So we addressed it afterwards. So we'll, you'll hear that as well. So here's what we're going to do. We'll take a quick break and come back with my guest, Claudia Leitano, author and scholar and our Brazilian friend on Machado de Assis after this. <laughs> Hey, grown-ups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. 
Okay, joining me now is an author and a journalist who also happens to be well-known as our Brazilian friend here at the show, the first of our Brazilian friends, I should say, who's here to talk about one of Brazil's finest writers, Joaquim Maria Machado. Machado de Assis, I want to get that pronunciation right. Claudia Leitano, welcome to the History of Literature. Uh, hi, Jake. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. So I often read that Machado de Assis is one of Brazil's finest writers or Brazil's greatest writer. Is this disputed within Brazil or would you say that Brazilians generally consider him to be the greatest? I think Machado stands in an unquestionable place in the history of Brazilian literature mm. and also in uh, literature in Portuguese in general. Mm -hmm. What he did and when he did in the 19th century, it's a matter of no dispute. Yeah. He's like our Shakespeare, I would say. You know? Wow. But of, of, of since his death in 1908, we have had many great authors, but uh, none of them is like, bigger than Machado. Right. So maybe the way the Russians look at Pushkin or or uh, in Spain, they might look at Cervantes, that he was he was exactly. both, both yeah. great and, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. seminal to the, the literature yeah. of the nation. And he also he, he funded like, you know, the, the Brazilian Academy of Literature right. Uh, right. In, the, in the end of the 19th century. So uh, for many years, he was this figure of a, a big author, very, you know, uh, uh, um, respected and uh, as a, like a huge figure. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and in the last few years, he became, you know, the writer we talk about now. Not just a, a great man, but also a great writer. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, let's dig into that a little bit. And I know I would say that he's been recommended to me over and over by Brazilian listeners to the show. They say, you know, oh. you should do an episode on on Machado de Assis. And do you just say Machado, or do you do Machado? You, yeah, but I mean, do you is that do you just use that one word when you refer to him, or do you say Machado de Assis, or how do you usually usually Machado only Machado just I only mean, Machado? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so is he? And you sort of answered this already a little bit, but I'm just curious, is he known by readers and non-readers as well? Is is he, a, you know, are there, are there statues everywhere and is his name on libraries and schools or, or is he someone who everyone who likes to read literature would know about? Uh, you know, uh, he's very known. Uh, mm -hmm. readers and non-readers uh, and by non-readers I mean people that who could have access to books but choose not to Right. but what you have to keep in mind is that Brazil is a very big and very unequal country hmm. we have a population of more than 200 million people right. and you could easily state that uh, only half of our population have access to books hmm. and so yes Machado is a household name but literature, it's very distant for a large part of our population. Right, right. So people might know that he's a writer, but they maybe have never read him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. But, you know, uh, at school, uh, I would say that most students in high schools are assigned to read Machado. 
because in Brazil you have a national exam for college and literature is part of this exam. Mm-hmm. So right now, uh, his short stories and his novels are in the list of recommended uh, readings. Right. So people uh, at school read Machado. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I wanted to focus today on his masterpiece. The and again, I want to get the pronunciation right. The posthumous memoirs of Bras Cubas. Is that how you mm-hmm. would say? It? Okay. <laughs> uh, is that what people would generally read if they're coming to him first? Is or would they? I know some of his short stories are very famous as yeah. well. But what mm-hmm. would be the introduction to? Yes, the two novels would be the posthumous memoirs of Bras Cubas and Don Casmurro. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the two novels are as as known and as good, and uh, are you know people who read Machado usually read this both both of his novels. Yeah. Critics usually divide his career into sets before and after his 40th birthday. So if mm. by any chance he had died before that, he would still be considered the greatest Brazilian author. But he wouldn't be, you know, as good as uh, we find him now. His first four novels are very well-written tales about romantic young and poor heroines mm. that strive to be accepted in a rich society. But after the posthumous memoirs of Prescubas, uh, his style completely changed, and he became the author that is remembered today for his wit, for his elegance, and his power of observation. Mm. Well, all of that wasn't too obvious, obvious in uh, for his first readers, you know, at yeah. the beginning in the 19th century. Yeah. Right. Oh, interesting. I wonder if that's, and I'll do some research on this. I I wonder if that's attributable to sort of his his stature in within publishing if his first books were more conventional because they were uh he had to get them published and then once he got some freedom he was able to really cut loose or open up yeah. in the way that he wanted to with uh the posthumous memoirs yes it's exactly that because he was a poor man and in the beginning he had to you know uh, write something that people would buy mm-hmm. because he needs that to survive and then after 40 years, he was like a guy who has a job, a public job. So he had a life, a stable life. So he could experiment a little bit. Yeah. And so he became uh, uh, like more cynical as a writer in a way. Right. Do you think he was also looking around at, at literature, uh, the literature of the world and trying to write something that could could stand on a shelf alongside Lawrence Stern and and Cervantes yeah. and and some of the other Swift. Um, I mean, he 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 refers to a lot of these writers. It's clear that he's got yeah. them in mind as he's writing, and it almost seems like he was expanding into what he knew literature could be. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, Shakespeare in yeah. his books, right? You know, reference in all sort of ways. Uh, his biggest uh, influence, for, uh, of course, is uh, Stern. Yeah. Uh, that's known for his dark humor, and so uh, that's very strong in his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, he was reading Flaubert and Balzac, and, yeah. and you know, reading you know all the, the best literature of the 19th century. Yeah. And the important thing that he he taught himself English and French. He mm. was uh, amazing. In that. Right. Right. And he seems like somebody who really kind of had to go out of his way to set up a 
a sort of wall between himself and politics. He he was criticized at times for for not taking on the issues of the day and and for avoiding uh-huh. politics. But it almost seems like his true love was literature, and and he felt like what he had to say he was going to say through literature. Yes, but maybe uh, that's a, a misreading of Machado, mm. I guess, because mm-hmm. uh, he was writing novels and short stories, fiction. But he also was a journalist who was uh, writing like every week, you mm. know. So his texts for for papers are sometimes very, you know, strong uh, opinions about, you know. I was reading today about, you know, uh, the first uh, uh, search about Brazilian population, you know, how many Brazilians there were and are they black, are they white, where they live and everything, was made in 1872. Mm. And I was reading today a text when uh, he comments about that. And he said, well, we're a a country of people, you know, who don't read. And uh, so sometimes he, in journalism, he would be more, you know, have more strong opinions. And in the novels, he he would be more subtle, I would Mm. say. Yeah. Right. I wonder if that's because he 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 viewed it as uh, the journalism as being more ephemeral that it would it exactly was something, probably, yeah, probably. yeah yeah and he wanted the literature to be something that could be read in twenty years could, or fifty stay, years or stand, yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. okay so why do you think my Brazilian friends have been urging me to read in particular this book? First, because Brazilians who enjoy literature uh, regard Machado as a national treasure mm-hmm. that should be known uh, and read as much as Borges, Cortázar, yeah. García Márquez, you know, right. great Latin American authors who wrote in Spanish. Yeah. So oh. There are great writers who wrote in Portuguese, but outside Brazil, it would be very difficult for a reader to point out more than one or two. You know, authors writing in Portuguese have only one, two novels, and both authors are from Portugal. The last one uh, was uh, José Saramago Mm -hmm. in 1998. So Brazilians are urging you to discover not just an author, but a language spoken by more than 250 million people in the world. Right. And of course, you think that all readers can enjoy Machado as much as we do. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right. And do do you feel like he represents something about Brazil or the Brazilian character that uh, is important for understanding? Or is it more as would you say it's more like your loyalty is toward him as a as a great Brazilian, but that he doesn't necessarily say anything about uh, what Brazil Mm -hmm. is like today? Uh, the idea that Machado represents something about the national character is a relatively new one. Mm. Uh, when Machado was writing his best novels between 1880 and his death in 1908, and even much longer after that, he was generally viewed as an elegant and elitist author, someone who was not really interested in Brazilian immense social problems. Mm-hmm. The idea that uh, he was not only being very critical of Brazilian elite, but also portraying some of uh, his biggest contradictions is recent, but became very dominant in the last 30 or 20 years. Mm. Essentially, uh, the main characters of uh, Don Casmurro and Bras Cubas are very rich and cynical guys who are quite comfortable 
with slavery and social inequality, as almost all the rich citizens in Brazil were in the late 19th century.、Mm-hmm. Okay, so when、uh, did you first encounter this book? Well, I was a senior year in high school when、mm. I read Machado for the first time, some forty、mm-hmm. years ago. It was a long short story called "The Alienist," about a physician、uh, that runs an asylum for、yeah. mentally ill people and starts to consider everyone in the city crazy in a certain way. It was a very very funny、yeah. uh, short story. I really like it,、uh, but I was not in love with Machado.、Uh-huh. I came from a, a family without readers or a library at home, so I didn't know much about Machado. But I remember that a friend of mine, who have parents、uh, who had a habit of reading, told me that Machado was too difficult for teenagers,、oh. and I didn't quite get that at that time. But later, when I read、uh, his short stories and his best novels in college. And then I I really got to know how wonderful he was and how subtle and、uh, how difficult it would be to to a teenager to grasp everything that uh, he was uh, talking about.、Mm. And I I just I never stopped reading him. Last year I read for the first time his、uh, bad novels. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so how I was afraid to read it and hate it. But the fun thing is that I I didn't dislike that bad ones. Uh, they are very interesting、uh, as a portrait of、uh, Brazilian society in the 19th century. So、uh, I like it, even when he's bad. <laughs> he's good. <laughs> <laughs> right. I feel that way about Chekhov.、Uh, I know. Oh, that,、um... Chekhov is never bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, you know, when he wrote some of his earliest stories、uh, for、okay. the newspapers, I, I remember bringing them into a group of. Readers, sort of a reading circle, and they were saying like, "Oh, this is this is showing us that even Chekhov can be bad." And I thought, really,、yeah. I, I that's not why I brought them in. I thought this was, you know, we were just seeing some early Chekhov. It just felt like, you know, even when he's he's maybe being a little broader than he usually is when he matured, or he's it's a little more gimmicky. I still found、mm-hmm. there to be kind of a a spark of humanity that resonated with me. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, because Chekhov died when he was forty-four,、mm-hmm. and so、uh, he was very young when he started, and he was good at a, a very early age. Yeah, and, and Machado got at his best after forty years old. Right. So he was like a, a late bloomer in a way. Even、yeah. if he started to, to write very early as a teenager, he was a journalist already at at seventeen. But、uh, you know, his, his master. Moment, the best moment was when when he was older. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know that we need to say this to people who listen to this podcast because I feel like they're kind of a, a an ideal audience for this book. But is there anything, <laughs> if you were handing it to someone, you know, a casual friend or something, is there any kind of advice you would give them before they begin reading, or any? Is there a, a frame of mind when it's the right time to approach Machado?、Uh, I think you have to 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 be prepared to enjoy a, a book that's uh, it's uh, good for the language and the wit、mm. more than the plot itself. Yeah,、you know? right. The story is quite simple, you know, but the way he tells the story is the the fun part. The guy is, you know,、uh, a dead guy who tells、uh, his own story, 
And the main fact is that being uh, born a rich guy uh, in a rich family, you just may live a mediocre life and still be viewed as a successful citizen. Mm. And, and so for Brazilian society, the way he, he, he yeah. tells that, it's really, <laughs> really <laughs> right. you know. Yeah. yeah, there's something very, uh, and, and he's, the, the narrator is so conscious of that. He'll think, he'll say, mm-hmm. here's why I wasn't a success. And, and here's why mm-hmm. I, uh, here's when I decided not to be or, but yet he, he sort of, it's, it's clear there's the possibility of failing upward. Mm-hmm. He'll tell the worst things about himself, always with a cynical smile, and almost as if he was saying, "Oh, I did it because I could do it. Mm, <laughs> you know? right. I was allowed to." Yeah, but right. so it's a book not to read. I would say it's not a book to read uh, for the plot, but mostly for the language, mostly for the irony, the wit. Yeah, yeah, and the the energy. Hmm. Mm. Well, I am so glad that you and my other Brazilian friends uh, recommended that I read it. It's come out in a couple of translations. Um, I am not qualified to judge between the two, but from what I uh, have come to understand in, in just doing some research is that, that uh, they're both excellent and they're both uh, beautiful books, and I would encourage oh. everybody, if they can read it in Portuguese, obviously, and, and if they can, they maybe have already read it, but if they are, are limited to English, uh, this is a good time to pick up Machado. And I want to thank you, Claudia Leitano, our Brazilian thank so friend. Much. Thank you so much for joining me today on the History of Literature. Thank you. I'm so glad to, to, to be with you here. Yeah, thank you. Isn't that great? Thank you, Claudia. Before we go further, I want to mention that the music we've been playing in between here is by a Brazilian composer named Shekina Gonzaga. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. These were sent to me by one of our, these audio clips were sent to me by one of our other Brazilian friends, our dear friend Carol, who sent them in honor of the Machado de Assis episode. Carol also Note some issues with Machado's treatment in Brazil. So let's hear that from Claudia now. This is the piece of the conversation that Claudia and I had after we originally signed off. And it was an important point that I wanted to make sure that we covered. So I wanted to ask you about Machado's background and his race and ethnicity. The there's an American critic, Harold Bloom, who said, I think the quote was something like, he's the greatest black writer ever. 
And my understanding is that that is kind of an American-centric way of looking at Machado's background and that he's viewed differently in Brazil. Yes, uh, Machado was uh, a grandson of a freed slave. Mm -hmm. So uh, his father was black and uh, his mother was a Portuguese woman, mm -hmm. both very poor. And, and so Machado was a black man, but uh, with a very, you know, uh, a uh, skin very light. Uh, mm -hmm. and so for uh, many years, he was considered like uh, a white man. Mm -hmm. and, and it might sound funny for an American because, you know, uh, uh, here in America, you see Haitians in another completely different way. Yeah. Because uh, in Brazil, we are a very mixed society. You have, you know, all kinds of shades of skin. And right. a black man is a, a dark-skinned black man. And Machado was not. So for many years, uh, many people viewed him as a white man. So mm. uh, when he died, you know, the, the, the certificate of his death, uh, it was like uh, he was white. Mm. It's uh, unbelievable. Yeah. And even a, a couple of years ago, a, a bank made an ad on TV. And the actor who was invited to, to portray him was a, a white actor. So this, uh, for uh, like uh, the few, uh, like from five or ten years, last five or ten years, people start to, to claiming uh, the the black heritage of, of Mashad. He yeah. was a black man. Yeah. And, and he did wrote about slavery because usually people say, oh, he never uh, talked about slavery. He never condemned slavery. But he did in very subtle ways. But he did. Right. Right. And because he was, even though he was the grandson of freed slaves, uh, slavery wasn't abolished in Brazil until he was in his 40s, I think. So it was it was the, yes, uh, the 18, issue of his 18, day. Yeah, 1888. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was worse than the United States. You know, uh, black people was uh, they have any any means to 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 start a life hmm. as a free man. So it was. It still is very bad in Brazil, yeah. and so the problem is uh, uh, was huge uh, for his all his lifetime. Yeah, yeah. And so was he? Um, was he passing as white? Did he? Was he? Was he criticized for trying to disguise who he was, or was that just the way that someone of his skin tone was treated at the time? Yes, uh, even, you know, uh, as he was such an important man uh, when he was alive, uh, it was like, you know, uh, a black man couldn't be that important. So mm. uh, people treated like he was, you know, uh, a darker white man. Yeah. And, and so it's recent, the idea that uh, he was a black man and, and has to be viewed as a black man. Uh, right. Even in schools, uh, people, uh, teachers uh, didn't mention that he was black. Many people don't even you know, think about it because the, the pictures of Machado uh, was were somehow like whitened in a way. Yeah. Know, because yeah, it's a very sad thing, but uh, that's changing right now. It's really changing. Okay, so that was Claudia, part two listener carol had written dear jack i am anxious we will have machado de Assis soon my heart is exploding 
One curiosity is that Brazilian media has always lightened the skin color of Machado and other black famous people. The older the addition, the whiter he looks. They are trying to fix that now. Took me a long time to find out that a famous Brazilian composer called Shekina Gonzaga was black because also she was treated as white, even portrayed on TV by a white actress. Fifty Shades of Racism. I will attach some photos. By the way, Shakina Gonzaga might give you the perfect soundtrack for the episode. And indeed, it has. Shakina, Carol goes on to say, nicknamed to Francesca, is one of my favorite women of all time. She was the first woman to perform in a theater in Brazil the first orchestra woman conductor, the first to put the acoustic guitar that was popular and represented the poor people in an orchestra. I mean, I love this woman. She is inspiring. That's from listener Carol. How wonderful. How lucky am I to have these friends. See, people? There's no need to be afraid of history. Yes, White people have kept people of color down in Brazil as well as America, and history has been erased for a while. And yes, men have pretty much done the same thing to women often, but we don't need to get all defensive about it and pretend like it never happened. Let's be bigger than the people who do that. Let's explore history in all its richness and celebrate all people. There are accomplishments everywhere if we choose to look. There's hate and prejudice, too. Let's not ignore that. But we don't need to continue that cycle. We can be the big-hearted souls who end it. Sounds like such a small thing, and yet never seems to happen. It seems impossible until it does happen. And when it happens, it happens fast, and everyone cringes that it took so long. Let's not leave this one to our grandchildren and great-grandchildren to fix for us. Let's fix it. Thank you, Carol, for the music and for the inspiration to learn more about Shakina, she sounds like someone worth knowing more about. I can use inspiration where I can get it, <laughs> even if it's from unexpected directions. Okay, back to the history of literature. I'll tell you the notes that I wanted to cover after I spoke with Claudia. Here's what I wanted to explore further. A lot of this I had done before I had talked to her, and I had read Bras Kubas before we talked, but bear with me. Maybe I should say, as someone looking to present Machado to you, dear listeners, this is what I thought you might like to hear about. Six things on my list. One, his apprentice novels and then his masterpieces. How did they differ from one another? What was he doing at first? And how did his later works develop a style further? Number two, his background. Just how poor was he? How did his poverty affect his career as a writer or his outlook on life? How did he escape it and does it dominate his writing. Number three, his position in world literature. Where does he fit? What can we say about Lawrence Stern and Jonathan Swift and Cervantes and Shakespeare and Flaubert and Balzac? What tradition is he in, Machado? And what does he do differently? Number four, he's subtle and complex, as Claudia put it. He might not be for the teenage mind, but for someone in middle age. Again, the parallel here seems to me to be Chekhov. Can I give the listeners an example of this. I'm really letting you peek behind the curtain here, aren't I? These are the notes I take when I'm putting together an episode. <laughs> I hope you don't mind hearing them. Number five, he was an advocate for literature, the founder and president of the Brazilian Academy. Was he good at his job? What did this involve? How much good was he able to accomplish? And number six, 
Brazil's history with the guy. He was their Shakespeare, perhaps. Was he always recognized as such? And what does their evolving attitude toward his background and race say about their society? And can those of us outside Brazil take anything from this? So those were the six items. And now that I've listed them, I'm tempted to just stop there, run the theme song, and encourage you all to go read Machado and learn as much about his life as you like. Literature is about questions, people. Not answers, but questions. No, 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 no. no. That's just a little joke. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Literature is about questions and not answers. At least that's what Chekhov said. And I think Machado was in that tradition as well. But of course... This is not a novel, but a podcast, and so I think I will avoid that neat little trick of raising questions and not giving you any answers. I don't know that I'll get to satisfactory answers to all six of those questions I outlined, but at least I can try to give you a little more about Machado de Assis. That seems fair enough. Machado was born as Joaquim Maria Machado de Assis in Rio de de Janeiro. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, Portuguese is not my native tongue, people. It's not my second language either. So where were we? He was born in 1839. His parents were poor. His Portuguese mother was from the Azores. His father was of mixed race, coming from a freed slave grandfather, Machado's grandfather. They lived on an estate owned by a senator's widow. His father had work painting houses. His mother washed clothes. Machado's education was haphazard. His mother died when he was 10, and the family moved around. When his father remarried, his new wife, Machado's stepmother, worked at a girls' school making candles. So young Machado was able to take some classes there, along with all the girls. Also along the way, he picked up Latin, which he learned from a priest, and he learned French from an expatriate baker. When he was around 15, he found work with a newspaper, publishing poems and articles, and eventually getting a job as a typesetter and proofreader long before he was a fiction writer or could even really dream of being one. He was more of a journalist, but he didn't earn much. He no longer lived with his father, and for some stretches of time, he ate only one meal a day. He was in a group of people who were working for reform now, and he also was introduced to great literature. He learned English and discovered through his English Lawrence Stern, author of Tristram Shandy, which we did a couple episodes ago. If you missed that one, maybe you want to catch up. You'll see the parallel here with Lawrence Stern. Also, Jonathan Swift, the great satirist, and Shakespeare and Byron. He learned German and Greek, too, and he started writing plays. He was somewhat successful, though not wealthy. So it helped when he got a government post and started working as a bureaucrat. He was thin and he had a stammer. He was also obviously intelligent and learned. And when he was around 30, had this government job now, some stability, some income, He wanted to marry a Portuguese immigrant, a white woman who was five years older than he was. Her parents and siblings objected because they said he was too black for her, as he was partly of African descent. But the two 
got married nevertheless. He continued to work for the Ministry of Agriculture, Commerce, and Public Works, rising through the ranks to become the head of accounting. All the bills passed through his desk. They said he worked there for 33 years. Here, finally, was the income and stability he needed as a platform from which to launch his literary gifts. Although, as you read in Bras Kubas, it also takes a toll to be working at a desk job like that. Shades of Kafka, working all day as an insurance man and writing at night. Machado, during these years, wrote 200 short stories, hundreds of articles, and occasional pieces for newspapers, 10 novels, at least a dozen plays, and volumes of poetry. In 1897, he became the first president of the Brazilian Academy of Letters. He was now in his late 50s. He served as its president for the next 11 years until his death in 1908. And at that time, he was given a state funeral. He was famous now and celebrated as a writer. And yet, upon his death, he was listed as a civil servant. His writings can be split into a before and after phase, as Claudia suggested. Before Bras Cubas, his works were in the style of Flaubert and Balzac, social realist novels focused on the love lives of people in Rio's middle and upper classes. The humanity shines through, but the style is one of a writer looking to follow the rules and accomplish something worth accomplishing. The works do address the reader, and they quote other works, their references. You see them. You see the spirit of Machado that would later flower. They're close to the style of Lawrence Stern and his learned wit, which we looked at in our Tristram Shandy episode. The satire is gentle, though, and the works are not overwhelmed by it. He hasn't exploded the form yet. It's not until Bras Cubas that he sets himself in the vein of Cervantes and Stern and lets his novelistic imagination run wild. The main problem with this book is you, the reader. Machado complains in Bras Cubas, you're in a hurry to get old and the book progresses slowly. You love direct, sustained narrative, a regular, fluid style, whereas this book and my style are like a pair of drunkards. They stagger left and right, start and stop, mumble, yell, roar with laughter, shake their fists at the heavens, then stumble and fall. That is very Shandy-esque, of course, which Machado doesn't hide early on. He says he's inspired by Lawrence Stern, the free form of it, through which he can come at his subject sideways, telling an anecdote, sharing an idea, digressing where he needs to explain a character's psychology or throw up his hands at what he doesn't know or what he can't know, and turning literature inside out from a work of omniscience to the work of an individual voice. He was on the verge of modernism. Of course, one of those bridges, as we saw last time in our look at Catherine Mansfield, where things wound up, modernism saw a great shift away from omniscience and toward the perception of an individual, the fragmentary nature of an identity, a consciousness that jumped here and there, noticing, thinking, making connections. This is not Victor Hugo or Leo Tolstoy handing down a scene that follows rules and giving opinions and the general 
view of the world from a stance like a god on a mountaintop. This is a man in a room with a quill pen talking through his ideas as he rattles them off to the reader, or in Machado's case, we might imagine him with a typewriter. As Stern had the conceit of a character who wanted to start with his birth but couldn't quite get there, that was in Tristram Shandy. So frequent were the interruptions. He could never quite get get to his birth. It took him chapters and chapters. He still wasn't there. The conceit of Machado's book is that Bras Cubas has died and is narrating his life story from beyond the grave. In both cases, literature itself is one of the targets of the interrogation. Chapter 136 in Machado's book says, in its entirety, quote, but unless I am much mistaken, I have just written an utterly pointless chapter, end quote. Another chapter is entitled, How I Did Not Become Minister of State and only shows rows of periods in the text, suggesting an inability or unwillingness to speak. This is like Stern's games with the black pages and blank pages that we saw in Tristram Shandy. The reader isn't settling into the valley, waiting for the story to be delivered as if on tablets from on high. The reader is scrambling up the mountain, chasing a narrator and an author who was always a step or two ahead. But if this were merely a game, it would not have lasted. It would not be praised by Carlos Fuentes and Philip Roth and Woody Allen and generations of writers and critics and scholars in Brazil and Portugal. A kind of miracle, Harold Bloom said of Machado in his career. I am astonished that a writer of such greatness does not yet occupy the place he deserves, said Susan Sontag, speculating that perhaps... There are certain authors who are destined to be discovered afresh again and again by people in other nations in successive generations. His works have never been out of print in Brazil, and yet they come and go in English-speaking countries. I can speculate here and say that, in the United States at least, his fate is largely determined, as Claudia suggested, by the second-class citizen status of Portuguese, the language. A big high school these days in America might offer Spanish, French, German, Chinese, and Latin, maybe American Sign Language, maybe Japanese. And in college, they usually add Arabic and Russian. Portuguese, however, is not taught in high school and is hardly ever taken in college. That has a couple of consequences. You don't have as many translators available. You don't have such an easy access if you're a publisher. You also don't have as many native speakers as Spanish does. There's something like 40 million Americans who speak Spanish at home. That's a big group of people who might read an author in the original language or be interested enough to read a translated work. The names of the authors in Spanish are prominent in their minds. And when schools assign excerpts of pieces, for example, when I studied Italian in college... I was studying snippets by Natalia Ginsberg and Dante and Manzoni and Gramsci and Calvino and a dozen others. It puts those names in mind and gives one a taste of what they're like and what they're all about. Portuguese is easy enough for a publisher to have translated into English, but it has none of that structural, structural interest behind it, backing it, embedded into it. 
It's down on the list with language. If you look at lists of languages that are studied in America, Portuguese is down there with ancient Greek. I wonder if Kafka, as great as he is, would be in a similar position today had he written not in German but in Czech. But when greatness is available, we should seek it out. And I would encourage you to check out Machado de Assis. There are two new translations of Bras Cubas, and I'm sure his other post-Bras Cubas novels are sure to follow. Quincus Borba, is that how you pronounce it? Quincus, Quincus Borba, or as we say, philosopher or dog, is another masterpiece, along with a handful of others that were all written in 1881 or later. Philosopher or dog picks up where Bras Cubas left off, developing the viewpoint of a character who had been in the earlier work, a man who reasons his way into the belief that all pain is good because it produces pleasure eventually, and all suffering can be viewed from the point of view of those who survive and benefit from the suffering that came before. Pain, he says, was an illusion, and Voltaire's Pangloss was not as foolish as had been supposed. A third book, Dom Casmuro, written about 10 years after Bras Cubas, might be the greatest of all three books. This is a tale steeped in the ideas of Shakespeare and Balzac and Flaubert and Zola. It's a masterful story of jealousy as the narrator, a man named Bento Santiago, tells the story of his wife's affair with his best friend, which resulted in a son that Bento Santiago only found out later was not his. The problem with his narration is that the facts that he relates are very flimsy, and the reader begins to suspect that the story he's telling is perhaps something he himself has made up. It's his paranoia that has led him into this. Imagine Othello writing in the first person about his evidence, quote-unquote, that Desdemona was unfaithful, when it's not clear at all to the reader that she has been. In the end, readers are left with an ambiguous result, giving us more of an exploration of jealousy itself than, say, a crime novel with a satisfying conclusion. What does it mean to be black or white or mixed, to hold power, to be a man eating a nice chicken dinner that has generations of labor going into it? The chickens were raised by men and women who planted crops for the corn that fed it, and maybe those men and women were slaves, and maybe those slaves arrived on ships that were made of wood, and maybe ten men worked chopping down that wood, and another ten made the sails. All of this, all this history, embedded into one man's plate of chicken, which he finds very tasty. What do we do with that suffering? How do we balance it against our need for nutrition and our desire to enjoy a tasty meal? Do we ignore all of it? But what other choice do we have? It's far too vast and complicated for us to unwind the past or even fathom it completely. We labor under its burdens, even if we have the best intentions. When we struggle ourselves to find the truth, how can we ever relate to one another? How can we build a house on shifting sands? Those are the kinds of questions we ask when we come to Machado. In spite of the games, in spite of the more conventional themes like jealousy, we're looking deep into the core 
of knowledge itself into the underpinnings and structure of literature, the structure of society, the structure of the human mind and the human heart. It has a penetrating power. It raises, as Chekhov said, more questions than it provides answers. But it is in this that literature finds its greatness. And it is in this, this inquiry and this willingness to inquire, that Machado found his own greatness too. That's going to do it for this episode of the History of Literature. I hope you enjoyed it. I would suggest reading the posthumous memoirs of Bras Cubas if you are in the mood for a shandy-like romp. It's extremely clever and a very fun read, also a very fast one, but I would probably start, if you can only do one, I would probably start with Dom Casmoro. Look, you can start wherever you want. I'm not an expert. There are also very well-regarded short stories that you might seek out, but for me, based on what I've read, I think Dom Casmoro is an excellent place to start your relationship with Machado de Assis. A miracle of sorts, indeed. Or, as Elizabeth Hardwick said, quote, one of those unaccountable talents which appear as they will, tossed up by the winds of chance, that benign, wayward blow that recklessly deposits the artists of the world on highways and byways. Speaking of relationships, I'm glad I have the relationship I do with Claudia, one of our Brazilian friends, and my thanks to her for giving a us this entree into the world of Machado, and my thanks to Carol, another Brazilian friend, for her input, and my thanks to all of you. I'm glad we have a relationship as well. I hope it's solid and based on mutual respect and admiration, and not the sort of relationship where you smile as if everything's okay, and then sneak up behind me with your hands outstretched, ready to seize my throat and take my life in the dark of night, which, <laughs> okay, I just sort of freaked myself out with that one. Yikes, I'll stop there. Maybe maybe we'll just be podcaster and listener friends, okay? We'll save the drama for Shakespeare and Machado. We'll read those works together in the evenings and be friends by the bright light of day. How's that, dear listener? That works for me, and I hope it works for you. And in the meantime, I'll keep working for you bringing you episodes of this audio goodness we call The History of Literature. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.